0: You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there. I'm back in the COVID-19 Gangland Wire studio, doing some more interviews on the phone with people doing some social distancing this this social distance or physical distance is is quite a ways i don't think i'll catch anything from this guy because he's all the way up in chicago so for you chicago outfit fans i know that that you've been dying for some chicago outfit stories you know my last three or four have been about the new york mob and the, the sicilian mob and uh Things like that, and I, I've kind of strayed away from Chicago. I have. I used to do a lot more Chicago stuff, and I'm going to get back into it. I've been talking with Cam about that, and 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 we're going to start. Researching and doing some more Chicago outfit stories, so this is going to be one of the, one of the first of of a few. I hope, uh, although uh, I'm putting them up like crazies, you guys know during this time, and and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna put in my ask for donations and buy my movies and stuff. But don't worry about that right now because everybody needs to hang on to their money for now. And and when this is over, if you want to do a little something for the podcast, why well, I'd appreciate it. You know, I got my Venmo uh, account, Gangland Wire. And I just got something from Mike Ryan the other day. I appreciate it, Mike. Uh, you know, got to, every little bit helps keep this thing going. Now this is uh, this is Mike Byrne. I've got on the phone here from Chicago. He is the administrator of the Chicago Outfit old and current news articles, and I've been following that Facebook page ever since I've got on. Facebook and the Facebook mob pages, the mob interest pages, of which there, there's more and more and more and more now. Uh, and there's two out of Chicago, and, and to me, this is the greatest one. This is the best one. They re, He really has worked, Mike's worked really hard to get a lot of good information from the Chicago Tribune. Now, if you don't know much about the Chicago Outfit, just go look at the tribune and those guys covered the chicago outfit from you know i i think from the black hand days to current time they still cover the chicago outfit like crazy uh, i don't even think we have a crime reporter in kansas city anymore certainly not one that focuses on organized crime like we used to but boy that chicago tribune they must have they must have had a whole A whole division of reporters and good writers and good investigative reporters just to focus on the the outfit and mike has diligently researched their archives and puts up articles all the time so i highly recommend that page mike welcome
1: thanks thanks gary thanks for having me
0: on so mike uh uh, tell the wiretappers out there a little bit about yourself and and how you got started doing this this facebook page
1: uh, well, I, 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 grew up, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, about like about 25 miles west of Chicago, and growing up as a kid, I mean, obviously, the, the organized crime in Chicago, I mean, Chicago being, you know, obviously with Al Capone, I and mean, they've got a notorious background for um, organized crime. So as a kid growing up, I remember... I'm watching the news, you know, in the morning or night time. Like, I, you know, saw all the movies growing up, like, you know, The Godfather and all all the mob movies, like, you know, President Eddie Coyle and stuff, and so... You know, I, when I was younger, I just thought a lot of that stuff was, you were know, made up or I was like, oh, that stuff happened back in the 30s and 40s. You know, the Al, you know Al Capone era, those guys are all long gone and dead. And then I watched the news. I would, you know, the news always have, you know, an organized crime indictment. And, and you see these guys being like, you know, doing the perp walks or walking to court and the cameras following them. And I was always kind of curious. I'm like, wow, this, this stuff is, you know, really going, this stuff really goes on still and stuff like that. And then, like, when I started, you know, I started reading the papers and stuff and reading more about it, and I would, you know, see, like, you know, they would say, like, you know, they would, you know, a mobster busted in this this town. And I'd be like, wow, that's only, well, like, 20 minutes from here, you know? Inside that. And so I, I kind of grew more fascinated with it because I'm like, wow, well, this is, like, all around me, and I didn't even really know it. I mean, it was, like, right, you know, right there in front of me, like, you'd go into restaurants or bars, and you would see. The video poker machines and stuff like that, or the restaurants that had notorious backgrounds. And people that "Oh, you know, that place is owned by so and so or a mobster." And you know, that fascination kind of kind of grew with it as I got older. Then and started buying books and like reading more about it, and this, you know, just kind of doing my own research. And then when like social media started, I went. You know, was on Facebook for a while, and so I still went up. It started on a Chicago Outfit page. Now we're going out, you know, and I, I signed up for it. And I was, you know, i will go to it and read and stuff. And I start and initially I started posting articles on there. I was like, oh well, you know, I'll will try to contribute to this, you know. And the, the guy who started the page, you know, he just kind of said like, you know, thanks for you know thanks for doing this, but you know. It, he thought I was posting too many articles. He's like, you know, I want you know, yeah, I don't want you know, your contributing is great, but I don't want you you know, it depends, you know, I want to give other people a chance to contribute, which it makes sense. It's his group and I was like, Well, I'll just start my own group then, you know, like what you know well here I am spending all my time contributing to someone else's group and so <laughs> I just got a whim one day I was bored and just created a group and I was like, you know, and I, and, and, you know, in the era I covered I was like I mean, the era that, the, the era that I'm, I've always been fascinated with was like from the, the Paul Riga, Tony Accardo era on up. And that, you know, I mean, a lot's been written about Al Capone, there's so many books and stuff. And I always kind of thought that like the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all up to now. I mean, there's books about that era, but you don't see too much, you know, too many about it. It's like that, so I'm like, oh, that's an era, and there's a lot of mobsters that you know are talked about in the books and stuff. So I just thought it was in, like, a lot of people who grew up in that area, like era, like me, who are my age, group, and older, you know, kind of, like, remember, like, to go back and reread the stories about that. Or even sometimes they'll remember, you know, remember the kid hearing about those stories. And it's kind of fun to go back and see the article the time about what, you know, what transpired, you know, or even now knowing what we know now with, like, with people like Nick Calgary, with, and you hear the real story. It's Kind of fun to go back and see the articles about the original investigation before the real story came out of what happened. So it's kind of fun. to so I start posting articles daily in this in my group of just you know of you know, just various topics on certain mobsters. I you know every day I post at least three to five articles on various mobsters and mob-related activities
0: and stuff. Mike, I've noticed that you've become pretty good friends with a, a couple of really well-known, one might say notorious, Chicago Outfit Associates, uh, Frank Calabrese Jr. and Red Mehmet. And Red Mehmet even posts a whole lot of stuff on your page, I've noticed, and helps you with that page and interacts with a lot of people. And if you don't know Red Mehmet, you need to go on Mike's page or or go on Red's page uh, and look for his book. He was a Chicago Outfit Associate that really was a contract agent for the FBI most of the time he was working with the outfit. He had a porn shop, and, and Frank Suisse would come in and just shoot the breeze with him, and he had a, he had a, a microphone and a video camera going out of his uh, TV set, and it was recording all everything that Frank Swiss, the Frank the German, said, who was a really notorious killer and enforcer for the outfit. So uh, you, you made some pretty good contacts.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I read. Um, like, um, Frank. I met actually before I started the group. I met Frank. He was doing a book signing, a book reading thing at the, at a local library, and um, I used to take photos of um, like former crime scenes. My my just for personal stuff. My Facebook page, I used to do, and so I would just you know like whole social clubs. And when Frank released his book, we, we became friends on Facebook, and then he saw my photos and said, hey, you know, I really enjoyed your photos and stuff, so I introduced myself to Frank at this um, book reading he was doing, where he was a Q and a session and stuff. Yeah. And so we be, kind of became friends just through, like, social media, and then with Red, he just happened to um, come across my group, like, pretty early on, like, within the first year I started it. He released his book, and I bought his book, and um, I think what it is, I, I put a link. For, 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 for people in my group to order his book and he must have followed the link to my group and he sent me a message just going, hey, you know, and he introduced himself to me and, you know, I, he asked my number to, give me, you know, give me a call and I, I talked to him on the phone for a while and stuff and we kind of, you know, kind of hit it off and I just told him, you know, I'm like, you know, he started, you know, he, he asked if he could contribute some stories. I'm like, oh, that's great, you know, I'd like to yeah, have you contribute any way possible. So he started, you know, doing um, these video blogs where he could just, like, you know, some like, you know, five minutes to 15 yeah. minute long, just kind of blogs about his experiences and some that, were, some that didn't make his book, you know, because he said that a lot of the stuff he wrote for his book, it, it got edited out just to a time length and stuff, so he just, he shares a lot of his personal stories about guys that, you know, incidents that happened to him and stuff like that with, you know, so... Yeah, Brett's been a big contributor to the group. He's, been, he's added a lot to it, so it kind of makes the group a little special too. when you have people actually who are involved, you know, with you know with organized crime contributing. We have, we have I mean, I get a lot of there's a lot of group members are family members or members of organized crime and, and stuff who contribute. Other, you know, some somebody don't contribute they just will send me a message just you know, saying hello and stuff, you know.
0: I've noticed that, that you've got. In Chicago, a lot of people up there who are uh, friends of or relatives or have some close connection to the outfit guys. It's almost in that area around the Pats and around the Taylor Street and uh, Chinatown and and. Uh, closer, you know, that, what do you call that, the the near north side, the north side, yeah. they they know yeah. each other, it's like a small town, man, they know each other, <laughs> they know about family you know, members.
1: Sure. I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I live right in the heart of it, I live right in the Ogden area, which is a big mob area, where like Joey Lombardo lives, Yeah, and those guys, and I, and I actually run into a few old time mobsters since I've lived here actually, and stuff like that, I've seen them around,
0: and yeah. you
1: know. But like, you know, like, you know, a lot of, except like, family members, like, you know, like Michael Spolatro Jr., I speak to him on a pretty regular basis. He, like, he'll send me a lot of family photos and stuff of, like, you know, of his father with various mobsters. There's some you know, that, they'll, they'll ask me, like, you know, send me photos and say, hey, this is for, for personal use. Don't show these in their group or anything. That kind of stuff I get a lot of. Yeah. Which I, which I respect. I, I never post anything that people don't want posted on the group and stuff like that. Yeah, around here, it's like a very, it's still a very close-knit community, like these Italian areas, like the Grand Chinatown area, Taylor Street, Grand and Ogden, you still have a lot of like, of, you know, there's still a lot of the old-time restaurants and even social clubs, they're still
0: either active or, or they're inactive, but they're still there, yeah. you know. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, I've I've told you before, and I talked to Frank and, I've got a couple other friends up there that uh, I've gotten to know, and I, I want to go up there on a motorcycle trip and, and meet you guys and, and maybe get together and, and do some kind of a, a thing at a bar, maybe some wiretappers, some fans can come in, and some of your fans can come in, and we'll, uh, uh, and I also want to go around and, and stop at a few sites and and uh do a little youtube video i did something like that on uh with bonnie and clyde sites last summer so i want to do that in chicago now i was gonna do it kind of planned on doing it in june and maybe early july but i'm not sure now with this thing oh well uh we're gonna do it mike let's uh let's talk about we, we mike and i agreed on a topic for today and and i wanted to do something on uh, richard kane kind of uh, for me is interesting because he was a chicago copper at one time and and he also was a uh, deputy sheriff or a special investigator for the Cook County Sheriff's Office at, at one time during his career, and and he led uh, he led quite a quite a interesting life, shall we say? This guy's something else, you know. And I I looked up just a little bit about him. He's uh, born in 1931, and he he actually he he was he was born Cain. It looks like uh, his mother must have been. Uh, Italian, yeah. And, and his he also had a name he went by Richard Scalzidi. Now I don't know Scalzetti, if that correct. was that his mother's yeah. maiden name or something. Yeah.
1: Oh, all and, right. Like, so he went by you know, two names. He was you know known, at, known by, but you know more more famous he is obviously Richard Kane when when he became a cop and yeah. he investigator. But yeah, um, but yeah, I think it was on his mother's side.
0: Yeah, he he was raised up in in Chicago and and he joined the army and actually uh, he was stationed over it, down in the Virgin Islands where he learned Spanish re- really well, which will come into play. And part of his uh, crazy, <laughs> crazy—he's like the Forrest Gump in a way of uh, of organized crime. His he, crazy career. Uh, yeah, he was, he,
1: yeah, he was a very intelligent guy, according to like the FBI agents that dealt with him and and people who worked with him, saying that he was one of those guys who was just like really book smart like you, you know he could read a book and you know it inside and out and stuff so he was very I mean obviously as people hear about his life story I mean yeah I, mean, I like to live a life like that you have to have some sort of intelligence
0: I mean you just don't get by on good books <laughs> yeah, in, in, really. in, that, in that lifestyle like
1: that, you yeah. know. And so he wasn't a dumb guy. He definitely yeah. was a very intelligent guy. It
0: looks like he he got into uh investigations working for a private detective agency in in Dallas, Texas, the Burns Detective Agency in Dallas. Sometime as a young man, he ended up returning to Chicago and, and got a job with the Chicago Police Department. Correct. Yeah. Now, uh, what do you know anything about that early career with the Chicago PD? And I'm not sure it didn't last a long time.
1: No, he was from the, the, the files I've read. His brother wrote a book about him. His brother, his half brother, I think, I believe it was. Tried to get a hold of a lot of his files, and FBI agent Bill Romer claimed he always claimed that the Sam Giancana placed them in the Chicago police. Like back then, the mob was very big about police corruption. Yeah, they were, you know they wanted a lot of their own guys in the police force, and you and you look back now at some of the old some of the mobsters you know who got indicted back then. There was a lot of a lot of corrupt cops back in Chicago in the fifties. 60s, you know, that a lot of the cops were being paid off. Someone had no choice. You either took the money, if you didn't take the money, you were transferred to some precinct way out in middle nowhere because no one wanted to work with a cop they couldn't trust. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of these guys. I mean, unfortunately, I think at that time, a lot of a lot of good cops ended up getting passed over or or end up getting the short end of the stick because they either played ball with the mob or ended up you know pretty much yeah doing traffic yeah.
0: duty on the south side somewhere yeah it, it, it was it was exactly like that here uh, just maybe not quite to the same extent but you know we we had in the 30s they were totally corrupt and and bought and paid for by the mob totally and then the war came along and everything changed and after the war I had a guy that kind of trained me in the intelligence unit told me a story he came on in in the middle 50s as a young man. He had been in World War II. First night out, he got in a car with a guy. They rode what we call West 12th Street, which there was a lot of clubs, a lot of nightclubs on this West 12th Street. And this particular night was was the pickup night. This guy went to each club and picked up money. End of the shift, here he is riding with this brand new young patrolman. And at the end of the shift, he pulled up and, and he took a bunch of the money out and he counted out so much money he didn't say how much it was and just laid it on the seat and of course he had to take the rest of it in and divvied up with the with the other guys probably any sector. My friend who was from the country and was not really up for this and didn't want to, that didn't why he came on the police department, just said no no, that's okay, you go ahead and take that. Ray said that was the last night he rode with anybody. They didn't move him out to the suburbs, but he was a one-person car when there were mainly two-man cars from then on. And and, and he actually went on, you know, became known as the incorruptible guy as we we modernized and changed. We got a former FBI agent named Clarence Kelly as our chief of police. and. And he started cleaning things up, and, and he's the one that formed the first intelligence unit, and, and he chose this guy and, and another young farm kid named Jimmy Doolin to be the, the two guys to start the first intelligence unit. So uh, same thing here in Kansas City. After he worked on that for a little bit, he, he ended up, I, I read one place where he was like a bag man, which is what this guy who Ray was riding with. is like a bag man that would go around and pick up the money and then distribute it when he got back to yeah, the station. Yeah,
1: apparently, apparently he was the bag man, and he would you know, yeah, he's like you know, like you described, he'd go around to the, the you know, was a multi mob like he would go collect from the various mobsters in their district whatever districts they controlled and take the payoffs and then he would deliver the money to the precinct chief yeah. who would then pay off what they gotta pay off. Like, according to like what, what his, his brother and you know, Romer said that like she and Conor wanted him he wanted he wanted to see how far came he wanted it to came to state and rise up the ranks of the police. Basically, he wanted him to like try to get as high, and, and basically infiltrate the police
0: and see how high he could. Which is a smart move. You want a guy high up in there, yeah. So you know,
1: it's like that. And some, in like, in, a, in a, I mean, another reason why maybe his, his police tenure got cut short too, because in his brother's book it mentioned how he was known for like really shaking down people. But like, apparently he beat, he he being beat the guy who was he was like I think he was praying on some guy was praying on like. Young kids, instead of arresting them, Kane apparently beat the guy nearly to death with a club in an alley somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so he was notorious, like, taking matters in his own hands, I think, and that kind of made it cut his 10 years short. I guess he, he was known to, like, you know, not mess around when it came to that kind of stuff. I mean, he was the, the, the one guy who was trusted between the mob and the the police, basically. You know, he the, the, to, to delivered the money back and forth to each other, and then. Uh, you know, obviously, if the, if the police were going to raid a bookmaking operation, then he would notify whoever's district that was tell the mob, sort of like, hey, shut down this night, you know, where are going to be a raid in your area.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so, the, so the payoffs are at least going for a reason. They get tipped off and, you know, and then you can find out if that's the mob's operations or if it's an independent operation, then, then go ahead and raid it, kind of thing.
0: And it looks like uh, you know, after he kind of burned himself out there uh, on the, the Chicago PD or the CPD, he started a relationship with that would go on for quite some time uh, until he was really caught out with uh, the assistant U.S. attorney, a man named Richard Ogilvie, who at that point in time was investigating Anthony Accardo, who was, who was the boss, and he worked for him for a short period of time, which I bet that was a coup for <laughs> Giancana to get him put into that investigation.
1: That's an interesting thing, yeah, because he was like, oh, he was, yeah, notorious for going after Ricardo, and like, and, like and, there's, and there's actually photos in one of the one of the books, like, like Kane, like, well, you know, he brought, like, there's an article I posted recently in my group where. Kane would, you know, he would bring in mobsters for questioning, for crimes. but like he, he, there was photos of him bringing Joey Iupa, Ross Trio, and he would bring these guys in for questioning, and I don't, like, looking back, it's like, I don't know if he, he did that for show, just so case that came back that he was corrupt and
0: saying,
1: yeah. no, look, it, I brought these guys in for questioning. In, in his brother's book, it's, he states, his brother states in there that, like, you know, he would, like, sometimes the mob would want to make, they want to make sure it looked like he was doing his job. So they would have him, he would, ahead of time, call ahead, saying, Hey, we're going to bust up this, you know, we're going to bust your joint tonight, you know, and then whatever money is confiscated, he would give it back to the guy. But he had to make it look like he was running a legit operation. Yeah. I mean, a smart cop, that's actually really smart to do because, I mean, if you're raiding all those places and you're not making any arrests, it looks like you're not doing your
0: job. IUPA did this once. He told a guy, he said, Now you're going to have to take a pinch. In in the vernacular, that means you're going to have to take an arrest. So they tell a guy, "Okay, you got to take a pinch. Somebody's got to take a pinch every now and then, and yep. serve him up." But we're not going any farther than that. And you know, you can just go into the city court on a, uh, a city charge of uh, running a gambling game, and they give you a fine, you know, maybe fifty or hundred dollar fine, and go on. You can get a, a corrupt lawyer
1: who would
0: get the or get the case thrown
1: out eventually. You know, yeah. get, it, get it continued enough where it gets to the point where. Yeah, the worst case scenario get like a couple hundred dollar fine. Yeah, you know? and,
0: and everybody they you get know. it you get it continued enough and everybody forgets about it. And and all the exactly, heat goes yeah. out of it and they say and say, Look, I made all these arrests. Go back and look at his arrest record. Look, I made all these arrests, so I must be really doing something. That's probably what he did. He he kind of built up a record and got this job working for uh for the uh, for Ogilvy the US Attorney's Office. That didn't last very long as best I can tell, because there's this next thing that I had not heard of before. What do you know about this? He, he ends up supposedly down in Mexico helping train Cuban-Americans for the Bay of Pigs invasion. Correct, yeah. I think that was verified, too, That he, he, that something along these lines happened.
1: It came out later that they, they were able to verify that he did go down there to train Cuban exiles, which makes sense considering that the, the Chicago outfit they wanted Castro out just as bad as, as the government did.
0: Really, and it was pro- it was it was probably kind of like even in the last few years after uh, we, when the United States invaded Iraq and we were going to uh, create this new democracy in Iraq. They needed to—they threw out all the old people, and they needed to train all kinds of new police officers. And, and it was common knowledge, and And I know guys that did it. Actually, a guy I used to work with got killed by an uh, IED uh, car bomb in, in Afghanistan doing this. They, they were paying like $100,000 a year to ex-coppers or retired coppers, or some of them would take a leave of absence, go over there to train people. And, and really, yeah, exactly they, yeah. all they really doing was hired guns for the most part and guarding convoys and things like that. But they were supposed to be over there training people. So it's kind of the same kind of thing. They looked around for, for somebody who had the guts and some training knowledge to go down there and, and, and help train these guys. But they couldn't be really connected directly back to the CIA.
1: He had the smarts, and he had the training being you know, you know, a former cop and
0: everything, yeah. and stuff. And also, said too, he also probably—I'm assuming—he probably, you know, assuming probably had the modest approval, also, since they wanted Castro out just as bad. Oh
1: yeah. You know, all the gambling, you know, all the gambling operations got shut down when Castro took over and stuff. So, I mean, I mean, right there, I mean, so I'm sure like yeah. Giancana and Cardo and those guys probably. You know, figure what was you know was good for them too, because of Cain was able to train these guys, to, you know, to take back
0: the country, bless it, solidifies his bona fides, if you will, as a supporter of the United States government, and and like this Assistant U.S. Attorney Richard Overvey, uh would have known about it, and and it would make him look good in uh, federal agents' eyes that he he had done this when he came back, and he could continue his. Uh, undercover work for the the mob. You know, and really interesting, you talked about how they wanted to get him to go up high ranking, and he didn't really get that. They had another guy that did do that, William Hanhart, if you remember. He went all the way up to the commander of detectives. He was was like the perfect, I mean,
1: he was a perfect example of corrupt cop. I mean, he worked for decades
0: and, right, you know, they didn't they, they didn't get him until
1: he retired? Yeah, and Hanhard had very similar you know, backgrounds that came to that kind of stuff.
0: Next, we find him coming back, working for Richard Ogilvy again as the Cook County Sheriff's special investigator. But that didn't last too long either. He was con- no. convicted of perjury and all kinds of things.
1: That's when, they, when they, the, the whole the, the Zahn drug robbery took place, where. It was, you know, uh, it was a, a mob, basically a mob burglary. A crew broke into, uh, uh, you know, on Drugs. Basically, they were a manufacturer of prescription drugs. You know, I don't know what kind they were making, but it's like aspirin. Now, you know, all sorts of medical stuff. they a drug company, and well, one night, so I, I want to say it was like four hundred thousand dollars worth the drugs were stolen yeah. from this place, where a warehouse. Like I think it was in Melrose Park, which was a big mob area. You know, they Kane and his crew on to the um, job to try to solve this robbery. Kane he called all the newspapers and all the reporters, saying that they got a tip, saying that they, with the drugs and they know where the drugs are, they know where the robbers are, and they which is which is odd, considering that you know why would a cop why would you want to tip off the press before you even had these guys arrested? Yet, <laughs> yeah. you know, and um, so he led this big raiding party to a hotel, and you know. If they burst into a hotel room with their guns ready and everything and no one was there but they found about I think like at least half the stolen drugs they found like you know maybe a hundred thousand dollars worth of drugs yeah. and everything So they kind of look like heroes that's why I think Cain wanted the press they're like look at we we recovered the, we recovered some of the drugs and everything so it makes it look like they're doing their job and one of the reporters they tipped off just you know some reason figured you know well you know let's go you know, for some reason no one Ever check the register and see who who rented this room? Yeah, like well, well, so and so and must have signed this. You know, you know, rented the room for the night, and so he checked it out, and it turns out he recognized the handwriting of one of the cops who uh, worked for Kane. Yeah, so he signed signed a fictitious name, but he recognized the handwriting. So once they put two and two together and tied this guy to the handwriting sample, pretty much they realized that Richard Kane was. So they were in on the job the whole time, basically. He got that knowledge of it. They knew where the drugs were, who the guys stole the drugs were, and everything. So that pretty much led to, to Kane's downfall right there.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, that, that was pretty slick, though. You'll have to admit that this guy was bold. Uh, you, this bold. guy was bold.
1: Yeah, he didn't, yeah, he did mean, that's a pretty baldy move, yeah, I mean, yeah. for a guy to, to do that. I mean, and, and I got to answer the reporter, though, who who um, solved this? Crisis. I mean, who would have yeah, thought? Even, really. like, you know, thought of that? Like, you know, oh, you know, let's let's check the signature and see who, <laughs> who registered to this room, and he was able to
0: recognize the handwriting to tie Richard Kane, those guys, to the job. Even <laughs> y- you don't remember that reporter's name by any chance. <laughs>
1: You know what? I can find out. I'll, I'll, I'll look for I
0: can probably find okay. out, actually. All I'll dig right. around and find out for you. I'm just curious how much more he wrote after that, too, on on the mob. But that was that was oh, yeah. slick. That was really, <laughs> really slick. So after this, he ends up, it uh, looks like he got convicted of perjury out of that one. And, and he also got, uh, he, he must have been a part of a crew that was setting up bank robbers because he got convicted of being an accessory to bank robbery and ended yeah, up doing yeah, some that, time. Yeah,
1: yeah, that happened. That was a, that. That was, I believe, it was the Franklin Park bank robbery. Basically, what happened there was it was a, a crew of book, a crew of um just like just low level, low real low level mob guys like car thieves, gamblers, just I mean, basically you know every day every day thieves with with you know really slight ties to organized. Basically, they were just guys paying street tax to the yeah. mobsters. They would steal cars, and basically they were all in debt to their. To, The the juice makers, the juice guys. They all owed money to them. So they're trying to think of a quick way to get cash. This is like, I mean, it's a crew of about five or six people. And um, these guys figured they'd rob a bank, even though none of them really had a history of bank robbery. They (laughs) were all into, like, you know. And so I definitely figured, you know, know, that's a quick way to make money. So these guys figured, you know, we'll rob a bank. So they chose a bank in Franklin Park, which is, is right on the outskirts of Chicago and the suburbs, right, there, uh, it's right next to O'Hare Airport, basically. And this crew robbed the bank. And, you know, within a day or two, the, the case gets solved. But I mean, really quick. So um, the mob figures, okay, well, the, you know, they figure so, there has to, to be an informant in this crew. There's no way the cops or the feds are that at their job where they could solve it this quick. So at the time, Willie Potatoes Dodano, who was um, he basically it was his job to uh, keep track of all the bank robbers, thieves, and get the street tax from them. And so he decided, well, you know, we'll put him on a lie detector box, you know, and see who um who fails the lie test, which which is not a bad idea. And so Richard Kane was a trained lie detector guy, he, he he was a, a, he was trained in that, and he had a certificate, so he could actually use it, but he was in Paris on vacation at the time, when, um, this happened, so he ordered one of his men to, um, to to submit the lie detector test to all the bank robbers on the job, who did the job, and, um, so that's what he did, and so, um, they, you know, each robber went to a hotel room and submitted to the test, and one guy, um, Guy, Guy Mandola, his nickname was Loverboy. Guy Loverboy Mandola, and um, apparently he failed the test. And two days afterwards, he was shotgunned to death in his garage. Mm. And came home one night. So um, yeah. So there, you know. So basically, then like um, the cops basically drew t- two t- t- together, and like they. Um, and then the, um, the bank robbers, like two of them. Then they all started cutting deals. That all the guys involved, most of the guys involved in the bank robbery, were flipping at that point. And that's how that's how the, the police end up getting Richard Kane then, because they they it to a lie detector test, and the guy who had submitted the test, who worked for Kane, basically sold Kane out saying yeah. that, oh, I was ordered by Richard Kane to do these tests, and so they got Richard Kane on conspiracy charges then, for you know for the bank
0: robbery. So that's that's when after that he does a little time, and Mike after that that's when he really comes up to surface as, as Sam Giancana's. Uh, ace number one, Boone coon as they might say in the penitentiary, is, is ace man. Uh, he's a courier for him. Gen of has been booted, and he's gone down to Mexico because Romer is, has dealt such a fit and made such a spectacle of him by his lockstep operation, and he's gone to Mexico. And so Kane is kind of his back and forth with Mexico, and, and people, you know, he's really more on the surface now as an out-and-out out mob guy, looks to me like.
1: Yeah. Yeah, at this point now, it's like, I mean, everyone who didn't know at that point knew that Kane was pretty much, yeah, a mobbed-up cop who, you know, was working with them the whole time. But, you know, and ironically, it's kind of in a, in a weird way, she and Connor and Kane were both kind of in the same boat. She and Connor was exiled out of Chicago, basically, by, by you know, by Accardo and those guys. And Kane, at the same time, too, by the police and everything else. I mean, there's two guys who basically were like, you know, had nobody else at this point, and you know, luckily for you know for each other, they had each other. Kane and Giancana both had each other to re- rely on. So yeah, Kane, you know, you know, Giancana was in Mexico, and Kane would go back and forth, delivering messages to the, you know various mobsters. And according to Broder and other FBI agents, they were they were trying to set up gambling casino boats. They were trying to get into. Giancana wanted yeah. to. Started up, you know, doing cruises and gambling and stuff like that, and you know, and I don't know how far planning the planning stages that got to, but apparently once the Carlo and those guys got wind of it, they wanted to cut the they wanted to cut up the proceeds. So once they were up and running, and and Sam figured, he well, he, I, you know, they booted me out. I, I don't know them anything anymore. You know, it's it's my operation kind of thing. So you know, and then and this is before Sam. This before Richard had to report to jail. So you know, Cain was out on bond still, so he's going back and forth, you know, you know, to Mexico, and he's dealing with the trial at the same time. Yeah. It's like that, so he's, he he Cain's a busy guy at this point, you know, he's going back and forth, He's got, and he, de- and
0: he defended himself at trial, he, you know, he couldn't afford a lawyer, so he defended, he, he defended himself. Really?
1: Yeah, and then that's the title of his brother's book, it's called The Tangled Web, and that's how he, present, that's what his opening statement was, is, um, he's like, oh, what a web we weave, this tangled web. And that's how he started his defense. It's so like that. He figured, you know, he's like, well, you know, I'm a smart guy. I'll defend myself. And, you know, obviously it didn't, it didn't work out for him. <laughs> and according to Bill Romer, he um, tried cutting a deal before the trial. He went and saw Romer asking if um, him and Willie Potatoes, if they, if they showed, if they could they prove that they were both born in Italy, which obviously King was, not Potatoes was, but... He, he said, We'll happily get to be deported and go back to Italy if you guys drop
0: all the charges on us. Huh, and interesting. Well, and Rower went and saw his boss and his boss out basically just said,
1: No, there's no way. Yeah. So we got both guys we want them. We're not gonna let them like sit there and go back to Italy and, and live free and happy and here we are, you know. So, you know, Kane was trying to I think wheel and deal, even though he's not even, he wasn't even born in Italy, but I think Kane will guys who would stay and do anything. To avoid yeah. jail And who can blame him either? You know, I he, think he not, jail probably not a, not a good place really.
0: to be. <laughs> He was he was a wheeler dealer though. He, he uh, what I understand wait the the way I understand it, uh, he would even he would be ratting out uh, other outfit gambling operations to Romer to get them arrested, trying to open it up for Giancana to come back and from Mexico and and start. Reclaiming his uh, proper place in in the outfit and, and making money too.
1: Correct. Yep. Yeah. He, yeah. He, 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 when, it, um, when him and Romer finally came to an understanding, and he started giving Romer information because because Cain was low on money, he needed money, bad. So Romer would pay him money for information, basically, and like Cain. And Romer explained that he said Kane had all these because when he when um. Romer approached Kane about being an informant for the mob, for the, against them, and he he had a bunch of specific things he wanted. He wanted to he wanted to be considered a special agent of the FBI. He wanted a FBI yearly payroll, he wanted to be a, a salaried employee by the FBI, which obviously, they said there's no way, they're like, there's no way where they give you a salary, you like, know, the broker basically told them, there's no way, you know, he's like, you don't even have a college education, you know, yeah. you want us to, you know, they give you the same money as an FBI agent and all this stuff, so finally they came to an understanding where if, you know, it'd be a, you know, you know, basically, you know, pay for whatever services, you know, yeah. you know cash, you know, COD, you know, cash right. on delivery. So whatever you deliver to us, we'll pay you cash. Yeah. And that's when that's when that guy started really getting a lot of information. I came to a lot of what was going on with everybody, but obviously, and a lot of it happened after he served his prison time for the bank rob, for, for the bank robbery charges and everything. You know, you know it's like that he kept in When he was in prison, he kept in touch with, like, um, most few Chicago reporters you would write letters to and just, you know, keep in touch with what's going on back home. But once he got back home, that's when, like, him and Romer's relationship really blossomed and he really started giving, you know, and he was still working for Sam, too. So he was going back and forth with for, for Sam still and giving Romer information. He even, he even mailed stuff to Romer from Mexico because it would come postmarked from Mexico. So he was even, like, when he was down there with Sam, he was yeah. still, you know, he was, he, he was working really hard for Sam. And you know what, too, he even told Wilmer is, is if anything ever happens to him, he gets killed or whatever. He wanted, he wanted the mob to know that he was working for the FBI. He kind of, uh-huh. I guess he wanted to basically, as, a, as a, you know, as a sucker punch, it, it, it ends up killing him for some reason
0: to say, hey, you know, you know, I, I was fooling you guys kind of thing, but, you know. <laughs> Interesting. He he must have, so he gave his permission to Romer to out him after he's dead because these guys, uh, they do not like to out informants even after they're dead unless they have had to expose themselves in a court hearing or something like that. Uh, Lefty Rosenthal is a, a prime example. That guy was a top echelon informant the whole time the skimming investigation was going on. He was they would he was forcing the FBI to fly clear to Hawaii to meet him, and of course they were I'm sure paying for his trip to Hawaii. And, oh, sure. and even after you know, that whole thing's over, even after he died, natural causes, I've got a friend that's an FBI that knew that, you know, he was and he would he still would admit it to me. And finally there's a reporter, Beth Ann Morrison out in Las Vegas, a Las Vegas uh, Review Journal. And she wrote an article that said that unidentified sources within the FBI have now verified to her that he was a top echelon informant. I told my FBI agent friend that, and he just gave me this disgusted look. Like, I mean, they they do not do that. And I understand why, because if people, when they start to do that, they've got this extended family out there that may be still in the community and even though oh, they're sure. dead, they still leave this these family members behind. And then all of a sudden, it comes out the FBI agents are writing books and telling everything about how they used to be this top echelon informant, and and it's really hard on their extended family. So, uh, oh, so sure. he yeah, must have great. given Robert, permission.
1: I mean, Robert had two two guys who were pretty high up, and to this day he never named them even before right. he died. He never, he gave them he gave him Yeah, in his books, but he never. I mean, and. People have done research now, and people know kind of know who the guys are now, just through research. But you know, but Gomer never publicly named his two top informants, so he he kept the, he kept those secrets to the grave.
0: Yeah. So yeah. now, uh, when was Sam Giancana killed? Was he killed? Uh, Kane is gonna not to spoil the ending, folks. But but our friend Richard Kane is gonna get murdered. Now, when was <laughs> Sam Giancana killed? Kane was killed uh, December twentieth, nineteen seventy three.
1: Yeah, Kane was killed. Uh, Gene Connor was killed June of nineteen
0: seventy five. Okay, so it was that his his uh, his kind of his boss, his protector, uh, must have uh, e- either they didn't care what Sam Giancana thought about getting Kane killed, or uh, they just did it instead because he was still so far out. But well, but, I, I, yeah, I think
1: I think more they did it more because Gene wielded no more power back
0: in Chicago. Okay, so I think it left it left Kane pretty much open. To
1: any you know any retribution? Pretty much, you know, Cain would kind of fair game. I think at that point, you know, like and Cain. It turns out, you know, in his brother's book, he talks a lot about this, about like his final, his final year, his final years of his life, when like when he was, when he got out of prison. Very much his his plan. His plan was is and Romer talked about this too. He got out of prison in the early seventies, like maybe like seventy one, I think, early late seventy one, early seventy two. He got out. And he kind of wanted to get back into the racket. Yeah. He wanted to get involved in gambling and everything, and, and he wanted to He wanted to take over parts of gambling there. And apparently, I guess, at the time in the early seventies, the Chicago in the South Side, they, you know, the you know you know the black community had their own gambling operations, and no one in the mob had any interest, I guess, in like taking that over. Either just had this. It wasn't enough money for them. Or yeah. they Figured you know what, you know, we leave them alone, they'll leave us alone and finally when Cain Kane, Kane got out, um, I guess you say he in the book it claims he saw Pat Marcy, who was the one of the you know, powerful first ward mobster. Right. And Gus and Alex basically told Pat Marcy and Gus and Alex told Cain about this opportunity. He's like, Well if you want it you know, the 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 the, the black gambling rackets in the south side are wide open. You know, if you, if you could do something and take this over, it's yours. We just got to get a piece of it basically though. Yeah. And so they, apparently Kane went there and spoke to the guys and he was going to try to get involved with them instead of taking it over. He was just going to get involved and, you know, and help finance and get it off the ground. But, it, you know, according to Kane's brother, it was just too disorganized. You know, yeah. just too, too many too many hands in the well, so too much you know, people robbing each other, not giving not giving the full count on money and stuff and so that's all apart for Kane. So I think Cain was just looking for any any income whatsoever, whatever whatever Romer was paying him it wasn't enough to live on, you know. Yeah. There's only so but so much money Romer was willing to give to Cain for that. So, you know, he figured he'd get in about you know so he tried to get involved in gambling, and and he also tried to pick together a burglary crew also with Marshall Caifano, who was a you know they, they you know they were big into the burglary racket. Yeah. stuff. So you know, Kane, and and, and it's an interesting thing in his brother's book because Richard Kane had two daughters from a previous marriage, mm-hmm. and so he, what he would do is he had the two daughters they were about their teenage they were teenagers when he got out of prison. And he would, what he would do is he would have his daughters go to, like, a, you know, a well community, like a nice suburb, and have them go to the house and knock on the door and say, oh, hi, my name is so-and-so. Well, I, I grew up in this house, you know, when, um, when I was a little kid, you know, and this is my house at home. Do you mind if I come in just to take a look around and see how it's changed?
0: That's a That's a— that's a good one, Mike. I've had. I've, that's a good one, Mike. I've had the same thing happen, and I let this guy in. We went and looked in the basement, and he talked about how his grandparents lived here, and they basically raised him, and he remembered these shelves, and she would always have plants on them. <laughs> so uh, yeah. that was a good one. It,
1: it, a really, when, I, when I read this, I'm like, wow, that's, like, that's really smut. I never thought about that, do it, you know? And apparently the girls would just take mental notes on uh, what's there, and then they'd go back to... Uh, of Richard and give them all the information saying oh we saw you know here's the jewelry we saw yeah. or here's this they have and then Kane and Kaifano and those guys would send a crew in and they would rob the place you know it's like that because you know, two young girls yeah. you, know? you I mean anyone any you know who's, who's going to turn that down some girl gives a soft story about you know oh I just want to see my old house and what it looks like you know you know, I guess. I mean, worst case. I mean, the worst that could happen is someone could be like, "Well, wait a second. I've owned this house for 50 years. How could you have lived here? You know, or something like that." They, oh, I must have the
0: wrong house, or something. You know? <laughs> really. I, I had a, I had a girl once that rang my back doorbell, and I went back, and she was kind of young and dressed in like a, a tank top and a, a short shorts, and and I opened the door, and and she said, "Well, hi." I said, "Are we going out to dinner tonight?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, I don't think so." We shut the door. <laughs> wow,
1: that's an odd one. Yes, it was.
0: <laughs> that was some kind of a setup. I never knew what it was. I, oh, yeah. I kind of looked, and, and she just like walked right back to the street and walked. It turned right, and when she turned right out of the driveway, she went immediately out of sight, and I didn't run out to see somebody yeah, I, else out there I, I, or whatever. I, I, but, uh, I, I, who, know, yeah, who knows what she had in mind for that night? <laughs> really? Man, <laughs> she had some plans for me, that's for sure. Somebody did. <laughs>
1: yeah. but, but also, too, in Romer's book, he mentioned, too, Kane and, Kane and, and she kind of had a falling out at the end, too, and Kane didn't really tell rumor of what it was about, he just kind of said that, you know, they, they, had a, they had a disagreement over something, and it seems like the relationship at towards the end was kind of was like, you know, on, on shaky ground, basically. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think, like, Kane pretty much moved back to Chicago permanently, and, you know, was basically full-time in Chicago at that point, and he no longer was with Sam. Sam was still in Mexico and everything before he got kicked out of okay. Mexico. I think he seemed like he was living dollar to dollar at this point, just trying to make a living. You know, doing anything he could, anything he could, from gambling to burglary. You know, I mean, he couldn't get a regular job again. Who's going to hire a former cop that did time in prison
0: at this point? So now we're at uh, December twentieth, nineteen seventy three. Richard Kane shows up at Rose's sandwich shop in Chicago. He's seen talking with four other men, who leave him there alone. And uh, supposedly two of them left using the back door, and then he's during this time he's seen talking with an unidentified woman who they I don't think they ever identified her. Never found out who it was. Right, yeah. the guy these guys come in. Uh, I think there was two of them come in. Yeah, two. Yep. And and one's got a shotgun, one's got a pistol, and they're carrying a two-way radio. But this is this is right out of the Chicago outfit playbook. You know, got the got the car waiting outside the getaway driver and communicating with a two-way radio, and, uh, you know, they make it look like a robbery, of course, and stand everybody up against the wall and start asking for money and uh, understand they said, who's got the package? And then they pulled Kane out from the wall and just blasted him with a shotgun, and, and as he went down, the both of them had to had to get a bullet in. I, I, I understand that because both people need to be involved. So yep. the, the yeah. second guy gave him the coup de grace out of the head, and took something out of one of his pockets and took off, and, and this woman left at the same time. Now we've got this unidentified murder. We've got this guy that's all involved with uh, all kinds of different action going on in Chicago with the outfit. Um, I read one thing where he had been seen arguing uh, with uh, Gus Alex, who you mentioned before. He's a South Side uh, crew leader, I believe, at the time. Now, this article said that they had been talking about organizing gambling cruises for uh, Chicago high rollers down in Florida, go out the three mile limit and and gamble, and then come back. So, uh, yeah. So what? Uh, what? What's the specula? Most modern, you know, speculation on who did this and and why. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, there's there's, like, there's a few scenarios that people say. Like, and, uh, the ironic thing is, is I live two blocks. Where Rose's sandwich shop was, where I live now, I, I pass by there on a daily basis. So, actual, but it's, not, it's empty now. It's, it used to be a candy shop, but now yeah. it's, it's empty. But um, so yeah, like um, well, the whole the, the neighborhood that happened. In, it, 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 it was on Grand Avenue, basically, which was I mean, at the time I mean, that, that was the Grand Avenue cruise um territory, and Joey Lombardo was the boss at that time. Also, the crew, and he was reported to be one of the shooters. I mean, it's never been confirmed on who was one of the, who the actual shooters were. There's speculation that it was, you know, Vincent St. and Sario, and um, Joey Lombardo, and um, some say it was Frank Schweitzer involved also. But to this day, no one ever really knows who the you know the shooters were because they wore masks and they came in, and. um But the the, the thing was, the the, the interesting thing is, the restaurant, the sandwich shop, was owned by a guy whose nickname was Joe. We called him Jelly Belly, uh, Jelly Cozo, who was the father of Jimmy Cozo, who was uh, Joey Lombardo's right hand man at one point. Yeah. So, um, so I I guess during the robbery, one of the guys in the mask said, "Hurry up, Jelly." Against the wall. So the shooters knew yeah. the owner, basically. So, I mean, that, that, that was never up for speculation. Obviously, the whole thing was set up. I mean, obviously, the owner probably knew what's going to happen, too, you know? Yeah. It, it was one of those things where it's like, hey, this, this, this is the best, the, the best way to do this is do it here when when Kane's not expecting it, you know? They, they had to set him up where he couldn't get away, and... Um, so it's like there's there's, there's one theory that, that people think is they think they think it was revenge for Sandy Stefano's murder. They think that 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 Richard Richard killed Sandy Stefano and this was payback, which I think is complete BS because Richard had no reason to kill Sandy Stefano and of course the, the mob wasn't why would the mob want revenge on that since the mob wanted Sandy
0: Stefano out just as bad as. You know, the cops at that point. You know, plus it, it was always—I always thought Sam D'Stefano. You know, he'd made a lot of money for a lot of people with his uh, loan sharking, and I always thought he was kind of under the the wing of Sam Giancana, anyhow.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that theory I always thought was just kind of like I think that I think that was an early theory early on because back then I think a lot of people assumed that if someone got murdered it was re- revenge from another murder and stuff, but I just that there's nothing to connect the two together. That's the thing. It's like Richard, like all the articles I've looked at on Richard Kane, there's never any any connection to him and Sandy Stefano. Yeah. So it just seems to me like that there's I mean for him to kill Sandy Stefano, I don't, I love he was, and there's a lot of people more qualified to, to kill Sam than have Richard Kane, uh, you know, come back from come back from Mexico to do it.
0: You yeah, know, really. kind of
1: thing. So I think that was just one theory. And then the other other theory is, and this one is a little more believable, is that, I guess, you I mean, everyone, a guy that's Marshall Caifano and Richard Kane were never too chummy. They both, they disliked each other, both of them, but they kind of worked together, <laughs> but either had respect for each other, I guess. And it was one of those things, some people think that um, Kane set up Caifano's burglary crew, I guess, a few months before, like, Kane gave a tip to Marshall about a a, robber, about a burglary to do, and when his crew got there, apparently the cops were waiting for
0: him. Ah, yeah. And
1: so, some think that Caifano, you know, thought, hey, Kane must have set us up, you know, or something like that, and they think, and some think that Caifano just set him up, saying like, you know, hey, this guy's, you know, this guy's, inform me on it. He, you know, he, he you know he set my whole crew up, which that's that's a little more believable that that theory, and then there's other theories that say just that the fact that you know that Kane was Sam's guy and Sam was definitely on the outs at that point, and the, the mob, you know, either the mob wanted to send Sam a message saying, hey, listen, you basically, you know, kind of, you know, I guess the ultimate sign of disrespect is to kill one of the kill one of the guys without even asking permission, you know, yeah. and they say, hey fuck you, and you kill one of his right-hand right man basically, and stuff. So, I mean, there's, you know, and then, then you go have people who go back to the whole JFK theory, because there's people who think Richard Kane was involved in the Kennedy assassination. It, it was definitely a mob-involved hit. There was uh, no, no doubt about it. It was, an out, it was it was outfit business. It had nothing to do with anything but outfit business, you know? Yeah. And the fact that, like, they would do it in outfit territory, and I had uh, an outfit joint, yeah you know, and stuff like that, so it's definitely i, I think you I think it's well, I think it's either the 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 Kai final crew that they they've been getting pinched or the fact that Ricardo and Iupa and those guys just they got tired of you know pain you know flexing his muscle and trying to trying to basically trying to work his way back to the organization and considering that. He dropped the ball so many times for him, you know. Like, like, and Robert said, like, and he said, all you know, all, all, Kane had to do was work his way up the chain of command at, at the Chicago Police. That, that's the whole job was to do that. And he couldn't even do that for him, you know. He got too big for his britches. And I think Acardo and those guys just got fed up with him. I think and just kind of wanted, you know, just there was no reason they have a guy like that around anymore, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with you. It's, it was a sum of of all the different things. In this guy's life, and he and he wasn't really paying off, and and he was kind of a pain in the butt, and he was, you know, they knew he'd been informing. Uh, you know, I'm sure that, you know, they they used that both ways, and maybe fed some some bad information. You, you don't know. Uh, they were they were not able to control him. It seemed like in the end, and he was always wanting something and getting to something. It's just like you know, I've had enough. We we got to do this, and that had to be that kind of hit had to be approved by a owner. at that point in time. Oh, it had sure, to approve yeah, it. a
1: hit like that. Yeah, a guy of his stature. You, Richard King wasn't some nobody. I mean, this is a known. He was a pretty well. He was a well known Chicago figure, not just a mob, but. In the, just as a, as a former cop, I mean, even, even killing a former cop is yeah. going to make the news. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a murder that's not going to go unnoticed. I mean, it's one thing to kill a bunch of burglars, you know, that nobody cares about. But to kill a, a former cop, even a bad cop, a guy who worked both sides of the law, you know, is, is going to make headlines yeah. like that. And so, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, yeah, that, 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 that has to go all the way up to Ricardo to prove that one.
0: Yeah, interesting. Well, Mike, I think we've pretty well done old Richard Kane in. I, I appreciate you coming <laughs> on here and. and Uh, help uh, educate and and illuminate all the uh, fans out there (laughs) that listen to the podcast. So you guys out there, don't forget, get on Facebook, go check out Chicago Outfit Old and Current News Articles Facebook page and like it and get on there and and make some comments every once in a while. I've noticed I'll make a comment every once in a while. Uh, uh, The best one, when when you put that one on there, Mike, about uh, Alan Dorfman and them – speculating on uh, who might be the next uh, Chicago outfit leader. And as as Iupa was, you know, being charged with the skimming and they knew he was going away for a while, and I thought, hell, I've got a copy of that exact conversation here. And I was able to snag a little piece of that audio and throw it oh, up there as right. a comment. Yeah. That was a good one. He said, What did he say? He yeah. said, I told that guy if he'd come on back, He'd be the heir, heir apparent, and it looked to me like they were talking about Tony Spilatro. If he'd come back from Las Vegas earlier and kept and worked with, with the existing outfit in Chicago rather than running his own crew out there in, in Las Vegas, he would have been the heir apparent. Correct, yeah. And and that's the one they said that guy from the South Side would go on the warpath if uh, if some some particular person got it. And I think we figured out that was Al Pilato.
1: Al yeah, Pilato, yeah.
0: So that was a lot of interesting things on there, folks. Uh, Mike, I appreciate it, and I I look forward to meeting up with you guys sometime later this summer and and actually meeting you in person. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. All right. All right. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Okay. Well, folks, if you happen to be a veteran or you have a relative or a loved one that's a veteran and you believe they have problems or you believe you have problems that might be from PTSD connected to the service time they spent, Call the local vet center or the local vet hospital in your area. Then there's a national hotline, 1-800-273-8255, and be sure and press 1 for the veterans. You can go to www.ptsd.va.gov. That website contains a lot of really good resources. So that ends this podcast. If uh, remember, I've got my Venmo app. If you would like to support the podcast after the COVID virus thing's over, why hit me up at Gangland Wire, buy me a shot and a beer, a cup of coffee. I have my movies. First, the Brothers Against Brothers, the Savella Spiro War, and then Gangland Wire, which is really the true story behind the Las Vegas Skimming Investigation in the 1970s that the movie Casino was all about. Those are both on Amazon for a $1.99 rental if you get the SD version. I got my book, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. Get the Kindle version because I hooked up wiretaps to the Kindle version so you can actually hear the wiretaps. All right, good night, folks. <music> Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.